0: Thank you so much, Joel. All right. Oh, it's so great to hear about what's happening at the GSAM, and um, yeah, really wonderful to have the privilege to pray for them and what's going on out there. Um, So good evening night service. It's so wonderful to see so many people out there. It's really exciting. I feel like every time I come, there's something building. I'm I'm really um, stoked to to see the dancing and the, the passion, and you can just feel the excitement in the air, so God is good, hey, it's moving. Um, so I'm Anna Van Stralen. Um, probably all you need to know about me is that I come here and I love Jesus and they let me talk sometimes, which is so cool. Um, so tonight, um, I'm talking on the book of Malachi and um, when they were handing out the prophets, sort of when this whole thing was beginning, I'm just like, yeah, give me any book, they're all good. And then I read Malachi and went, oh, that's right. <laughs> We're talking about prepare the way. Christmas is coming, Jesus, we're, we're thinking about heaven's gift to earth, the most amazing gift ever, um, and I had a bit of trouble <laughs> with this other sort of side of things where God was, he, he says some, some stuff in Malachi, and so um, I decided to call this God's ultimate family meeting. Uh, so strap in, there are parts of it that might be a little bumpy. Um, So I just wanted to, I I like this meme, Um, it's very useful for many things, and um, sometimes when we read Malachi, or when I've read Malachi in the past, it's kind of like he's yelling at Israel, and Israel is just like the grumpy cat that's with his salad, and just saying, what, I haven't done anything wrong, and the argument goes back and forth. Anyway, just kidding, but it is a bit of an argument. do you remember anything that your parents used to say to you all the time when you were fighting with them? Um, I was trying to think of them, and my dad's great for just saying things over and over again, if it's worth saying once, just keep going. Uh, So the ones I could think of were, why are you crying? I should be the one crying. (laughs) He really liked, you're sailing very close to the wind. I don't know what that means. If you've seen Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, there's a bit where he's crying and saying, I don't understand fishing metaphors. (laughs) Um, Do you think I'm the maid? I just cleaned up in here and it's messy again now. And the very best one that's useful for nearly everything, it's not fair? Good. Life's not fair. Get used (laughs) to it. (laughs) So you've probably experienced a tense conversation with a, a parent. You've probably, if you've got kids had a tense conversation with them. I am in the life position where I have the chance to have both every now and then. Um, I have memories of tiptoeing into the house knowing I was gonna get in trouble for something and um, having a scalding argument with an annoyed parent. And I've also had conversations with my very gorgeous, very loved son, where we're both so frustrated with one another that we're almost growling. Family is wonderful but goodness, it can be hard, especially when things aren't going well. But strangely, I've learnt this really big, miraculous secret that isn't really a secret at all, but for me, it was mind-blowing. And that is that I'm in charge, me and my, my husband, Jade, we're in charge of being the one to discipline our child, our son, whom we love. And so that means that sometimes we have to do things or say things to him that make him cry, make him really sad, make him angry at us, or remove something from him that he wants. And so we're the ones basically making him cry. But the amazing thing is that when we do it right, and we don't always do it right, but we, I, I think we do okay. When we do it right, it's actually, he needs to come to somebody for comfort and for restoration and for love. And he actually comes back to us for that. So we don't get to just be the ones to discipline him. We also get the closeness. And actually, sometimes that moment of discipline can actually instigate some closeness that is really important and draws us together. And so at the heart of what I want to say tonight, that's what I want to keep coming back to, and that is that this world, in its kind of rebellious heart, says that, you know, you hurt me over there and you over here, you'll fix me, you'll heal me. But with the, father, the father-parent relationship, or the mother-parent relationship, it's, it's beautiful because we, we get to have that intimacy, that is discipline can actually lead to that intimacy. So, as a book, Malachi, I guess what I'm trying to say is really, really, really good but it can seem like a bit of a hard sell. As uh, Malachi seems like he's projecting the voice of an angry dad and the people of Israel are kind of in the position of those sulky, rebellious, complaining teenagers. And the really odd thing is after this prophet, after this family meeting... God doesn't call any new people to speak to his any new prophet sorry to speak to his people for 400 years. Between Malachi and Matthew there is quite a deafening silence. And that could seem like it's the silence of God being mad at his people and not wanting to speak to them anymore like a slammed door. But thank goodness. I don't think that that's anything to do with what's really going on. Now, it is true that the book is laid out as a series of disputes. Uh, there are six of them in all. And I'm just going to go through them really quickly, because otherwise I'll be basically reading you the whole book, and you can do that at home. Um, we'll have the, uh, hopefully, the, what I'm paraphrasing behind me, so you can check up on me. <laughs> um, so the dispute number one is God basically saying, and this is in Malachi 1, 2 to 4, God says, I still love you. And the Israelites reply, how have you loved us? And his response is that between the brothers of Esau and Jacob, it was the line of Jacob, the the Israelites, from which the Messiah would come. And that was a really, really, really special and honourable role to play. Now, dispute number two comes up in Malachi 1, 6 to 10. And that's where God says, you have shown contempt for my name and defiled me. And the Israelites say, "How?" And God responds by saying, they're bringing crummy offerings. They're not bringing their best. They're bringing crippled and sick animals against the rules of the temple and my rules. And the priests are actually letting them get away with it. So dispute number three is God saying, you've been unfaithful to me and to your wives. That's in Malachi 2:10 to 16. And the people of Israel say, how? And God points out, that they've been drawn into idolatry, so worshipping other gods that God doesn't want them to do, through marrying the wrong kinds of people. And their sin has left them getting divorces for no good reason, and God hates it. Dispute number four is in Malachi uh, (laughs) 2.17-3.5. Israel demands, Why do you seem to favour the evil people? Where is the God of justice? And God responds with a promise that he will send a messenger. Their real desire will come to them and bring justice. Dispute number five is God actually appealing to them now. He says, come back to me. And Israel asks, how? Malachi 3 to 12. And God responds by saying they need to trust him fully again by tithing what they were meant to, giving their best to him and trusting him to look after them. Dispute number six is Israel complaining. It's not worth serving God when all of these bad people are running rings around us and God is letting them succeed. That's in Malachi 3, 14 to 17. Okay, so that's a lot of stuff. But during this course, uh, the the course of this dialogue, God is saying some very painful things to the Israelites. And... um, uh, Sorry... It shows the place that his father heart was in, and it shows that God was really hurting in this conversation. There's, um, I've pulled out some excerpts of, of that pain showing through. He says in Malachi 1, A son honours his father and a servant his master. But if I'm a father, where is the honour due me? And if I'm a master, where is the respect due me? He also says in Malachi one ten. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. You flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. God, as CEO or king of the universe, but even more deeply, as an incredibly engaged and loving father, is miserable. I can hear echoes of this kind of emotional state when I hear parents talking to their kids. Things like, what are you saying I don't love you? Haven't I given you everything? Why won't you participate in helping this household? Why do you say that I don't care about you anymore when you're treating me like this? In our often very broken human ways, we have been on at least one side of this kind of argument, and they're really painful. It's painful when you realize that you've let a parent down, either just because life happened or because you did it on purpose or by accident. It can be heartbreaking. It can also be really heartbreaking when you disappoint a caregiver or even your boss. Parents can feel really slapped in the face by a kid or a teenager or even a grown-up adult child who just doesn't get that they're part of a relational problem that requires their participation to fix it, to heal. Broken relationships are always really tough, but in a family, when things aren't going well, there is so much pain. But in the middle of Malachi, in the middle of this bitter and terrible conversation that would be really unpleasant to be a part of, God's ultimate message is, come back to me. He loves them. To my eyes... When he says this, it's like he's done arguing. He's done putting the hard words on. He wants the embrace to come. Consistently throughout the Bible, no matter what has been going on with everyone, it's God that reaches out and says, come back to me. There's a way. Come back. He wants the embrace to come. He's always preparing the way for grace. Now, Israel... (laughs) when in the spirit of folding arms and stubbornness suggests that there's no point obeying God because only the bad people seem to win. God comes close to them and tells them a story, a true story about the things that are to come and it's beautiful. In Malachi 3, verse 17 to 4, verse 2, he says, they will be mine, says the Lord Almighty. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them, just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be like stubble, and the day is coming that will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or branch will be left to them, but for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. God is pulling the people of Israel into him and these words are like that embrace that he longs to have with him, them. He's telling them and us. Of course, he sees that there is so much wrong with the world. Of course he does. He sees it much much, much more than us. But he wants us to know that he's got this. He has a plan and when the right time comes, the evil and the wickedness and the terrible things that we see will be burned away. The picture of a baby cow leaping for joy in the sunshine, that's what he wants for us and that's what he's got planned. We just need to accept his embrace and stay with him, even when he's saying things that hurt our heart. Stay with him when we would sometimes like to give up because he loves us, and that is his plan. Now, it's kind of odd that Malachi ends in a sort of funny way. It feels like a bit of an odd appendix. He says that, See, I will send the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day that the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike strike the land with a curse. Now, my words tonight have been purposely focused on families and that's on purpose because it's interesting that that ultimate promise and that ultimate good things to come comes with, go back to your families, love your families, love your kids, love your parents, come back together. That's one of the signs that God is moving when families reconcile and come back to one another. Family is such a beautiful creation I believe that God has always intended us to have good ones, but they can be so broken. In fact, I know more broken families than I know fixed whole ones. It's very easy to be a broken family. It's very hard to heal. And it's one of the real reasons why a lot of us in this world are in a huge amount of pain. I know so many people who are wonderful people who are abandoned or neglected or thrown off by their own kids who don't show them any love or connect with them. I know of step-parents, really great people, who their step-kids have never really let them parent them, and so they've always kind of been sidelined in their own families. I know of sisters and brothers who have basically been ostracised and kicked out of their own families, not spoken to by their siblings. And I know of people without family at all, that on Christmas and Easter and things like that, they reach out and they don't hear anything back. That's the kind of family that a lot of people have. And it's heartbreaking. Families are under attack in this broken world. Why wouldn't the enemy, for we do have one, hate and go after something which has the potential to be so good? The end of the book of Malachi promises something which the big grand narrative of worldly concerns would think is not that important. One of the big, big, deep, wide, wonderful signs that God is working and moving is that families are drawn back into one another. Where God heals his people, love, mercy, forgiveness and family flourish. Now that could mean building new families where we choose one another to love where we see need. But where God promises to work, He will work. um, Sorry, (laughs) He works. That is a big and it's an ongoing promise. Families are coming back together just as He is sending His ultimate gift to come Jesus, His very own cherished and beloved Son. As you might be able to tell, (laughs) I am pregnant. And that is great, and it's a gift, and it's wonderful, but gosh, it can be hard sometimes. (laughs) Um, ah. I've been pregnant before, just once, and I had a pretty good birthing experience. And and don't freak out. I'm not going to go into the nitty gritty gross stuff and there's so much of that. (laughs) Um, But something that I think is kind of interesting is that there's this first stage of birth, and then there's kind of a middle, and then there's an end. And I feel like it's kind of interesting when we talk about sort of birthing and, you know, Christmas, Mary, like it's sort of a a good analogy. But it's, it's a bit like how the Bible works. I feel like it's a good analogy anyway, so let me try. The early part of labor sort of feels like your body, or it felt like my body was like a rubber band being stretched and then let go, and then stretched and then let go. And it sort of happens to me. So I just have to kind of put up with it. And it's awful. But after a while, it gets to be sort of familiar-awful. And so you kind of get used to it and go, this is all right, because you just kind of have to hang on and then it's OK. And then you hang on and then it's OK. And then there's this bit where there's a silence and things stop. And then it really gets going. And I just remember thinking, oh, no. <laughs> now it's my turn. Now the pushing and the real stuff and, and that's, it's all beginning. And that middle part, when things switch over, is called transition. I feel like in the Bible, that silence, it's not God being mad at Israel. It's not God abandoning them. It's a change in gear. Everything is switching around to prepare for Jesus, who was coming. And it's really important that everything goes well. Just like when you're giving birth, you have all sorts of people on board surrounding you, making sure that everything is going just right because it is a very delicate and important time. The switching from the Old Testament to the New Testament was an incredible moment in history and God was silent uh, as far as it comes to prophets, but he was hard at work and he was doing something amazing. So I painted this picture ages and ages ago. It's not a very good painting, but it's a message that I really appreciate um, I didn't understand about anatomy at all, so I basically just painted blue what I didn't understand. Um, <laughs> um, it's this picture of Mary holding a dove, and shes I see her as being sort of in the past, in the Old Testament, and then we've got a city, a modern city like Dubai or somewhere, the future, and that Mary is poised with the Holy Spirit, you know, the things that are going to come, And she leans down and she whispers to the dove in the quiet of morning, just before the sun comes up, Are you ready? Are you ready? It's the most exciting thing that's ever happened in history. This is a sacred time. It's amazing. The gap between the Old and New Testament was full of labour for God. It was a hard labour. It was a painful labour. It hurt. It involved participation from God's people. And it's vitally important at that time that all was done well and with the utmost care and expertise. God had been preparing the way for Jesus from the beginning. He knew how this was going to go. But I see in Malachi that the first stage of God and his people being over, a new stage of him pushing his people had come. It's now or never, my beloveds, he says. It's time for the real labour of love to begin. God didn't want any of them to miss out on what was to come. The band can come up now if they like. Prepare the way sounds nice. Joyfully waving palm leaves like on Palm Sunday. Shouts of hooray, maybe lighting candles. But being prepared for Jesus for the Israelites was painful because it required them to abandon the near enough is good enough kind of way of living. Humans can fake their faith in God. They can fake looking really good for our other humans, we don't really know what's going on behind the scenes for one another. But God, God knows. He needed real believers, real followers and he still does. We don't want to miss out on Jesus and all that he can be for us, the way, the truth and the life. Now our lives are different nowadays because Jesus died on the cross before we were born. We had the chance to accept him whenever we wanted. He's always been available to us. So now there's nothing keeping us apart from him. But now the way that we're talking about preparing isn't out there as much as it is in here. Every day we have the opportunity to either be ready for him and to have the way inside us for him to speak to our heart and to have us obey him. That can be either clunked up with junk and garbage or it can be open and ready for him to work. In Malachi, God highlights some of the big issues which he cannot bear to see in us, and they're issues that still matter today. He talks about our money, which seems kind of detached and like, what does that have to do with anything, but it's actually very, very close to our hearts, and so it's close to God's heart. How are we spending it? Are we giving to God cheerfully and freely, Or are we giving to ourselves and our social image and our clothes and having nice holidays? When we're spending every penny on what we want and we don't have anything left to give back to God, that's a red flag that we need to have an honest conversation with God about how we can love our money less and trust him more. What about our relationships? Are we giving them all they deserve? If you're not married, that could be your mum and dad. It could be your housemates. It's actually really anyone who relies on your loyalty and your faithfulness in the humdrum of just everyday life. If you are married, it's your husband and wife and your kids. Do they have access to you? Are you attentive? Do you notice them? Are you available when they need you? Are you showing them grace? What about our focus? Are we spending all our attention focusing on how God is not living up to our expectations? Are we focusing on other Christians who we think are doing it a bit wrong and getting annoyed with them? Are we focused on the fact that the world seems to be going to hell in a handbasket and how churches don't have enough light in them and they seem like a show or a performance or that people are doing something too much or not enough? It's really easy to give up and not care about living for the unseen when we feel like everything and everyone and the whole world just sucks. We need to allow God's promise, that is the way, we need to allow God's promise that everything is going to be put to rights one day to really have meaning for us in the everyday. It's coming. Some of it came and it's been amazing. Jesus is here now for us. His arms stretched out every day but there's more to come and God doesn't want us to miss out on a single drop of his goodness, of his mercy, of his love and of his plan. So I've run out of time but just very quickly I want to invite you to consider whether or not the way is prepared in you today. Have you ever said yes to Jesus? Because if you haven't, That's the most amazing thing that you can do tonight. If you have said yes to Jesus, have you got some junk in the way? Has Malachi hit on something that maybe you need to deal with? God loves you. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you. Too much to see you with a pornography addiction or a screen addiction or an addiction to just feeling like you might not have enough. He loves you too much for that. So I'm going to invite you with every eye closed, every head bowed, if you have something that needs cleared out of the way between you and Jesus, if you need to be free of something that's just making your life a little less joyful, or if you need to accept Jesus for the first time in your life, I want you to raise your hand. Father God, we just thank you so much that you are always here for us, that you love us and that you love us too much to let us live in the way that we would if we didn't have you. Father, I pray that you would move us, that your Holy Spirit would continue to renew us and that the way in our hearts would be clear for Jesus to do what he does, and that is making everything new. In Jesus' name, amen.